A people without the knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. Marcus Garvey. My guest on this episode of Passing the Torch is someone who I have an insane amount of respect for. And typically, I like to read bios of each guest, but I wouldn't even know where to start with this guy. My guest is a historian, an amazing leader, father, husband, friend, mentor, and a thousand other great things. Without further ado, Passing the Torch with Matt Zeman starts now. Sir, first and foremost, just thank you, thank you, thank you for doing my podcast. Longtime fan, first time having you on the podcast. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. This is a huge honor. I know we've talked about this for a while, but I'm happy to be here. Now, I wanted to have you on just because I have my guest on. I'm thinking like, man, they'd be perfect to talk about, have this person on and talk about this subject. For example, we have a mutual friend, Mr. Les Boyd, and he and I talked about toxic followership. And that was something that he and I have just talked about over beers before. And I'm like, man, we need to record this. And But for you, I was fortunate enough to serve on your command a couple of years ago. And I was just always just in awe of your history knowledge. So I'm convinced that you're a time traveler and no one can tell me otherwise. <laughs> you are a quantum leap or you can go back in time. And, you know, and I just remember, I remember that rooftop party that we had in the squad, in the unit a couple of years ago. And you're talking about the flight path, right? On December 7th, 1941. And I'm like, how the hell do you know this stuff? But, <laughs> but I've always wanted to ask you, like, why do you think history is so important? Because, I mean, you obviously love it, but yeah, why is it so important? Well, you know, there's a cliche about those who ignore the past or doomed to repeat it. And yeah. I think Secretary Mattis has a little better fidelity on, on that idea that says history may not give you all the answers, but it, it'll, he's got two different quotes. One is it illuminates the path or the other one is it tells you the questions to ask. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. There's two ways to learn through experience in life. One is through your own experience the hard way, and the other way is to learn through other people's experience. And and so you can kind of avoid their mistakes. And yeah, I guess the last cliche on history is history may not always repeat itself, but it definitely rhymes. And so I think there's a lot of applicability. Looking back at the past isn't always going to be a carbon copy for what's going to happen in the future, but it can give you some ideas of how things might play out. And most importantly, people are people. Throughout time, I mean, human nature is human nature, and we may have different education and life experiences that shape our worldview and and how we do things. But I mean, basic elements of decision making and and things like that, we're all people. So I find it fascinating to look back and kind of started with reading just first person accounts. As you know, I've, I've been a pilot for 27 years now, I think. And I grew up just reading stories about fighter pilots in World War II and Vietnam and things like that. And yeah. the more you read about them, the more you start kind of learning about the context of the overall equipment and battles and stuff like that. And it just kind of grew from there. And yeah, so we traveled a lot growing up around the U.S. And so I, I really credit my parents. I mean, part of it was I didn't really like actively get into history. It was just kind of by exposure and what I grew up with. And we would always drive on our summer family vacations. And I hated that at the time when all my friends would fly to their vacations. Like, why do we have to sit in the car? Yeah. Where, where yeah. Is so anytime you go West, you're driving through like the Great Plains and everything, but we would stop along the way and learn things. And in hindsight, man, I would trade that for anything in the world. And I think that still just an appreciation of it. No, that's great. 
Was there like a specific book or just like a specific person you heard about that really just kind of cemented the fact that, or really just revealed your true love, your passionate love of history? That's a good question. I might say Robin Oles in part because I still remember looking through a, a book about Vietnam Air War and here's this guy with a handlebar mustache and, and <laughs> a chiseled jaw and flight cap crushed down and like, who the hell is that guy? Yeah. And uh, literally this was back before the internet. You know, there wasn't much about him. I mean, I tried, like, I, I want to know more about this guy. And you'd start digging through and really had a hard time finding things out about him and started like actively digging and kind of in the pursuit of that, both in the pursuit of that, you know, that opened up a lot of other doors, but it also exposed me to the human aspect of it. And I think that's one thing that really resonates with me. We, every airman should at least know the names of like Curtis LeMay and Billy Mitchell or Jimmy Mm -hmm. Doolittle. And you may know like one line about them, like Billy Mitchell, kind of father of the Air Force or Jimmy Doolittle, maybe the Doolittle Raid stuff like that. But again, they're all human and getting to know their backstory, which influenced the decisions they made, I find fascinating. So I ended up doing an interview project when I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy. It was kind of a senior capstone project. And I had this epiphany, you talk about like one person or one book, and it wasn't, it wasn't anybody famous or anything. I was, I was at the Oshkosh Air Show in Wisconsin. I was one of the Falconers at the Academy. You know, we had, you know, live Falcons and we'd take them to air shows, football games. Yeah. So I took the Falcon out to Oshkosh <laughs> and they requested us to be there. And we typically get hosted by a family. And the family that hosted me was the director of operations and museum director for the Experimental Aircraft Association, which runs the Oshkosh Air Show. And he had also invited a friend of his out. He was retired Air Force, retired Lieutenant Colonel. And he had one of his best friends out that he flew with in the service, Joe Breen. And we were just sitting out on their their back porch eating pizza. And they're telling war stories and stuff. And I'm thinking like, holy crap, nobody knows these stories outside their families. Nobody's ever written them down. And getting to know them as people and that backstory just really cemented for me, number one, the idea that everybody has a story and the desire to learn that story about people. And that led to a, I kind of took that back to my English teacher at the time. And he said, you know, I can get you money to go interview these people in their homes. And that led to this project where I interviewed both famous people like Robin Oles, kind of going back to him. I got to actually a pretty significant amount of time with him. And but a lot of other people in their, in their homes, which again, to me, the value of doing it in their homes, you learn more about that context that influences them and you get to see them as people and not just as some persona in a book or something like that. So that's a long answer, but uh, it was kind of a number of things. I think just experience growing up, I would say probably that I still remember seeing that picture of Robin Oles and thinking, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> desire to learn more about him, which then led to that interview project. And it just kind of kept going from there and, you know, wanting to learn the backstory about. No, that's great. I love that. That's a fantastic response. And actually the picture I want to use for the photo art of this episode is the one of you and I from, I think three years ago, it's right before the combat dining in and you're dressed in mess dress. I love that picture, <laughs> but there was a story to it. Right. And that's like, why are you in mess dress? And you're like, well, well actually, you know, <laughs> you know, here's the importance of that. Yeah. So on the importance of like knowing of history and and knowing what questions to ask or seeing what was asked before, can you think of a specific moment in history to where a leader had to make a tough decision and ended up making the right decision, but it's based off, they studied some past historic mistakes. Does that make sense? So I'm kind of thinking like, for example, like Patton on the D-Day invasion or whatever, right? I mean, you mentioned D-Day. The two that kind of come to mind are Eisenhower and again, Robin Oles. Both of them were students of history and 
I probably can't give you a specific example, but both of them were ardent historians that studied the past and uh, used that to shape the tactical and operational decisions that they made. Obviously, a great success. That's great. Uh, makes me think of, I want to ask, if you could witness any monumental moment in history or any moment in history, if you could actually transport, and you probably already have done this because again, I'm convinced you're a time traveler, but if you could witness in person any event in history, what event would that be or moment? Wow. I guess in all of history, crucifixion of Jesus would probably be uh, uh, pretty fascinating to see. But in air power history, you know, more relevant to us, probably the Battle of Britain. I find that whole campaign fascinating. And uh, I went over to England and in modern times, not my time traveling days, but, uh, <laughs> but it is kind of time travel in a sense because experiential leadership, just like with the staff right out there in, in Hawaii, you know, when you're actually in the physical locations, history takes on such a different context and importance. And I think the value of that, again, our trips growing up, you know, we inherently did that through American history. And I think that's what really rooted an interest in kind of a baseline interest in history for me, and especially American history. But I always struggle with world history and like reading about the Babylonians or the Sumerians and, you know, stuff like that. I just I couldn't contextualize that. And I went to Turkey when I was a cadet. Uh, we were hosted by the Turkish Air Force and they took us down to Ephesus and actually standing where ancient history from 2000 plus years ago totally changed that and really just like, I mean, hit me in the face about, hey, when you plant yourself in those environments, it's like you feel that history around you and it's so much easier to contextualize. So I went to England and visited a number of the Battle of Britain sites, you know, the airfields that the fighters flew out of and the command and control centers, especially Uxbridge down in London, which is kind of their AOC, and then uh, the fighter headquarters in Bentley Priory to see what happened in those locations, but also knowing the people, the decision makers like Keith Park, who was at Uxbridge and you know, thinking about the people in those exact locations and the decisions they made and seeing what they looked at in the environment they were in. To me, really, I mean, that carries disproportionate weight and makes a significant difference. I wouldn't have guessed that. And that's not something that people ever talk about. We read and hear about the Battle of Britain, whether it's in movies or some type of history book, but maybe not like, it seems kind of like an oversight, right? Kind of gets ignored. I agree with you. And I think as airmen, that's kind of a disservice. I mean, yeah, it was the RAF, not the U.S. Air Force, but I mean, that was the first major DCA defensive air campaign yeah. and the first use of a, a true IADS, an integrated air defense system. And the idea that these guys were fighting for their homeland, you know, and I mean, there's so much about it that's fascinating to me. And Keith Park, again, the leader of 11th Group there, which was responsible for the defense of London and, and the avenues of approach to England from France, the German fighters coming across the channel. I mean, 11th Group bore the brunt of the Battle of Britain. And he is a fascinating study in leadership and humanity. But just thinking about, you know, the guys sitting on alert, they go from zero to 60 in the ring of a bell. And, and they're just, you know, hanging out, like sitting in the grass and you know, shooting the breeze and all of a sudden the bell goes off that they get alerted and they're in a dead sprint to their aircraft because seconds matter. And within minutes, they're climbing through 20,000 feet fighting for their lives. And again, to defend their homeland, which is something that we haven't had to do a whole lot. I mean, yeah, we talked about the guys who got airborne on December 7th, but mm -hmm. that level of an air campaign, I just find fascinating. And, you know, the mass launches of aircraft. And that's another thing I'd like to see also in England. Just, I think about the, what it looked and sounded like before a max effort, an 8th Air Force max effort took off and all the bombers circling up and, and joining up. And 
I went out on the same trip to England. I went out to Thorpe Abbott's, the 100th Bomb Group airfield. And there was a guy out there who was a little kid. I think he was like nine years old-ish, nine, 10, 11 during World War II. And he talked about how you would hear engines, B-17 engines running literally 24-7 because at the airfield, they were doing test runs at night. And then in the morning, you know, they'd have a launch and it took so long to form everybody up. And then there was maybe just a brief lull of like an hour before, you know, like the first elements started coming back and, and seeing literally like a thousand aircraft forming up in the sky is just something you can't comprehend. And uh, pictures and paintings don't do it justice. So I would like to see that. No, that's great. I love it. I love it. I love it. On that, if you were to have a dinner party and you can invite three dinner guests, dead or alive, all throughout history, who would it be? Well, if three of the people that I've already talked about, I mean, out of all of history, I could devote a little more time and, and give a better answer. We can give this, you, if you want, you can have those three. And if there's two other honorable mentions, we'll say five. <laughs> Well, we'll see if we come back to that, but I'm going to say just these three because I mentioned them. And I think having the three of them together in a room would be beyond fascinating. But Jesus Christ, Eisenhower and Robin Oles sitting together at a table, just having Jesus and Robin Oles together uh, would be, that would be pretty interesting seeing the, the different personalities there. Three people that are just fascinating leaders. You know, if you were to do another dinner party with five people, you would say, I'm going to throw myself in there. Well, of uh, course. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Martin Foster. Les Boyd. Uh-huh. Uh, Kina. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll throw Adam Stugard, even uh, though he yep. blew me off. He was going to be on the podcast today, but he said he had better things to do. <laughs> and then you we'll took, throw uh, Ben Chen on there. Yeah, uh, you took the names right out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get Brianna Fry in there as well. So I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper. and You've already kind of answered it, but why are learning from past history failures so vital? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's easier to learn from the mistakes of others, especially when you kind of peel the onion back a little bit and start figuring out why they made the decisions they made. Sometimes it was hindsight's twenty twenty and your best AAR. So, and again, the Hawaii example, we talked a number about some of those instances like that lieutenant down at the kind of the air operations center equivalent that got the radar report of, you know, this big formation coming in. He said, ah, don't worry about it. You know, with the B-17s. Well, in hindsight, you look at that guy and you're like, what an idiot, you know, like we could have done so much if we had known. Well, no, put yourself in his shoes. Yeah. He was yeah. not trained for the job. It was literally his first day on the job and he was told to just show up. And he just happened to be the only officer in the room when the guys from Opana called and said, hey, we're seeing this. And, and in his mind, he thought, well, I know that there's some bombers coming in from the mainland. I heard the radio station was playing Hawaii music through the night. And I know they do that to serve as a you know navigational beacon for flights coming in from the mainland. And a friend of mine kind of indicated as much. So, I mean, in his mind, that was a logical deduction that proved to be horribly wrong. So again, hindsight's twenty twenty, And so when you're judging people's decisions and their mistakes, I think it's also important to look at what information they had and why did they make those decisions? Not just the tactical information in the moment, but also just kind of their experiential background. And yeah you know, that may have predisposed them to certain conclusions over others. That's a great point. Yeah, it's easy for us now in present day to be like, well, they should have done this or they should have done that. Kind of the mm -hmm. armchair expert, but based on the time. Switching gears on a little bit more lighter note, you're known as, I see all the pictures, so you're an amazing father, right? Historian, pilot, leader, just a really cool guy. What's something you are world-class at that people may not know? I'm digging oh. deep. That's a good... <laughs> Not many people know my uh, falconry background. The fact that I uh, I had two red tail hawks when I was younger that I would hunt with. 
So I don't know if I'd say I'm, I'm not a world-class expert and it's been a you know number of years since I've been in that game, but, but yeah, that's uh, something not a lot of people know about me. No, it's fun. I went to a Renaissance. Uh, I took my daughter, she's in the Girl Scouts and I went with her to the Renaissance Festival over the weekend here in Ohio and they had a falconry show. So I got to see the red tail hawks and yeah, so that was pretty cool and uh, a couple of owls and some falcons and everything and pretty neat. Never seen anything like that before. That's great to see that. And honestly, my first exposure was a similar event. I mean, it was a raptor show and watching a hawk fly from a perch to a fist or something like that. And I thought that was cool. But when you hunt with them, being in their environment, again, it's all about getting into another person or you know creature's environment. And when you watch them hunt, it is fascinating. There's a reason why our fighters and why air combat is the way it is. And, and there's a reason why the Air Force Academy mascot is the Falcon because of everything it embodies. When you watch an animal giving everything it's got to try and catch its food, I mean, I've seen some of the greatest dogfights ever when watching hawks like contort themselves to fly through branches and making turns that make an F-22, I mean, that rival an F-22 of just like defying what I think are the laws of physics and, and how they can turn and move in pursuit of their prey is, is uh, pretty fascinating. But again, it just goes back to my love of anything that flies. No, oh, that's awesome. I do have one last question. If there was a history movie made about your life, one, it's actually a two-part question. One, what would the name of that movie be? It's like a five-part question. I don't know why I said two-part. So what would the name of that history movie be? Two, who would play you? And most importantly, who would play Ben Chin? And I'm just going to throw a suggestion out there. Either Matthew McConaughey, to play or the rock so but i'll let you answer that oh man I, ha- I haven't given that much thought somebody told me you know when i first decided to go cue ball and, and shave my head i had a little resemblance to jason i could see that yeah i don't have the accent to go with him it's kind of funny to have uh you know i guess he's a little too much older but you know my nickname indy there's a story behind how that came to be but i would say just there are some elements of appropriateness in that tie to Indiana Jones. Not that I'm, I'm not out there single-handedly fighting Nazis and stuff, but yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody who is, who liked to travel, who liked history and kind of found himself in some little predicaments, adventures in some faraway places of the world. I mean, that's the root of kind of what led to my nickname, but in hindsight, as I've looked through life, it's not, you know, life imitating art or art imitating life, but I actually do relate, you know, to those movies and probably really like them just because I do have so many of those same interests. So, you know, my wife has talked about writing down some of my stories just for my girls, you know, some of the little adventures I've had. So I don't know, it'd be something about Indy's adventures, although I'm sure that's some trademark infringement with the Indiana Jones franchise. I like Indy's adventures. That's good. And I like the Jason Statham. I see it. So, and then we'll say for the play, uh, Adam Stugart would be in that movie too. And we'll say, I'm going to say Daniel Craig because they look so alike, right? Uh, (laughs) That'd be great. Yeah. I like that. Last question. If there was a giant billboard with your face on it on a highway and your personal leadership message or philosophy for everybody to see and read, what would you want that message to say? Oh, man. Well, I always laugh because, you know, in Alabama, anybody who's in Alabama knows Alexander Shannara. I call him Alexander Shannara because he has, I don't know what that dude's marketing budget is, but you cannot escape him. His face is 
everywhere and you know on tv and his tagline is call me alabama so i guess i could say call me alabama and you know if you want to chat i'm happy to chat any we could talk about anything but in terms of one piece of leadership advice trying to think how to shorten it down to a billboard but i guess a fundamental principle of mine has been treat people like humans we're all people and and understanding that again from an upward perspective, looking up at history and learning from others that can affect the way I lead people and the decisions I make, that also applies to looking downward. And when dealing with other people, whether you're in command or, or just in life in general, always try to put yourself in their shoes and think about the, what they're going through and their context in life, You know, their background that affects the way that they are, who they are, and also just the kind of tactical present situation that they're in that influences things. And you know, not to definitely won't bring up names, but I mean, some of the discipline issues we dealt with in Hawaii that you were either definitely in the room for, or at least aware of. Mm -hmm. I mean, those were, I could give plenty of examples about things where somebody's life background could have influenced them to do something. And also decisions that in the moment would be, it would be quick to judge them and say, well, obviously a horrible airman and they need to get punished to the full extent because they did X, Y, and Z. But if you dig a little deeper in, in the background of what happened, you find out the circumstances are a little bit different and uh, may give you a different perspective on things. I love it. And if like your picture would be the one where you're smoking a cigar and there's like a helicopter on in flames or something behind you or, or the one of you sleeping on a tiger, I feel like that'd be the one. <laughs> Those are probably my two favorite pictures of, uh, of yours. Now that's great. Well, sir, that wraps it up. So thank you so much for doing this. I mean, this has been, you know, like I said, I've wanted to have you on my podcast for a couple of years and, and the time just felt right. And, you know, I was telling my wife, Laura, you know, I was like, I want to have Colonel Zeman on and just talk about history because I love history too. I used to consider myself a history buff, but that's an overestimate after talking to you. I mean, you are truly a history buff and it's inspiring. I mean, because to me, history is important. I agree that there's so much that can be learned. And I always worry that the less people know about history, the more we're going to forget and yeah, make man. the same mistakes over and over again. That's a vicious cycle, but it's been an honor. So I uh, just thank you so much. Well, it's been an honor for me too. Thanks for having me and really enjoyed it.